Hello and welcome to Ilani Talks, a podcast focused on redefining self-care and love for your mental health. I'm your host, Ilani Salcedo. Throughout the podcast episodes, I share my own experiences while others feature some truly wonderful guests. In this episode, it features guest Whitley Rogers. During this conversation, you'll hear how the sensitivity of being an empath is a superpower, being a survivor of abuse, religion versus spirituality, mental health, and so much more. Listen to hear how doing things differently with resilience can build you back up from traumatic situations. If there are children in your space or these sensitive topics are something you're going through, feel free to skip this episode or use some headphones at your own discretion. Hi, Whitley. Thank you for joining me in this meaningful conversation we're about to have. Thank you for having me. and It's an honor to be here. To begin, let's start with the two questions known in these guest episodes. What do you do and what do you want to be known for? I love that question. So what do I do? I feel like I do so much. I'm all over the place. (laughs) So I am a podcast host myself over on In the Wake with Whitley. I am also the co-founder of a teen mental health foundation called End the Stigma. Right now I am working and going to school to get my degree in psychology so that I can be a therapist. And as soon as COVID's over and it's safe, I want to get my 200 hour and then later my 300 hour yoga teacher training so that I can Mm. do trauma-informed yoga. So yeah. Love that. Yeah. I um, Do you have a school that you're already looking at to get those um, 200 and 300 hours for yoga? Yes, uh, there's a studio in Utah that my aunt and my uncle actually both got their teacher training from, and I love their style, and I trust them, and so I'm probably going to go with that option. Uh, Amazing. And the the focus that you're going for is so necessary, you know, love that. Thank you. And what do you want to be known for? Oh, right. (laughs) I think I want to be known for making sure people know that they're not alone, making them Mm -hmm. feel like they are heard, that they're supported, that they're believed, no matter what it is, whether they're a survivor of abuse or they're struggling with their mental health or a mental illness. Like, I just want people to feel like they are not alone, that they're not crazy, and and yeah, that they are heard and they're supported and they're seen and that there is help for them and there are resources that they can get help and, you know, they don't have to be in such pain Mm -hmm. just barely surviving the entirety of their life. Yeah, and I hope that our whole conversation really shows that because I definitely think you you already have that in you and I'm sure you a lot of people know you for that already so that's just so beautiful (laughs) thank you before getting into your personal story what you've been through and where you find yourself today what do you believe it takes a person to overcome what's difficult in their own life whether that's something minor or traumatic so I think resilience 
is key. And that is a common theme that has come up in my own therapy sessions. I've been in therapy for three, four years now consistently. Mm -hmm. And we're always coming back to resilience and having that confidence in myself, knowing that no matter what comes up in life, I will be able to get through it and I will be able to overcome it. And because it's it's inevitable that we're yeah. going to experience hardships and we're going to suffer and be in pain. That's just a part of the human experience. We can't be happy, go lucky all the time. <laughs> I wish that was the truth, but it's not. And so knowing that things are going to come up, but having that confidence in myself that no matter what happens, I will be able to get through it and I will be able to survive and one day thrive on the other end. And I love that word resilience. And I think it also goes a lot, or at least in my mind, it goes kind of hand in hand with that like willingness and that resilience. Mm -hmm. I think like you can't have one without the other, you know, you have to have that willingness to want these things for yourself and be able to get through to the other side of whatever it is that you're going through or whatever happens in your life, whether, like I said, it's like minor or traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just so important to have both. And I really love that you brought that up because I think that's just so valuable yeah. to anyone that's going through anything, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned earlier, you're currently in school getting your psychology degree to become a therapist. How has that journey been so far? And has it opened your eyes to the different ways you can help people once you're in the field? Yes. So I just barely, maybe a year ago, decided that I wanted Mm. to be a therapist. I had had people telling me for quite some time, like, you need to be a therapist. You (laughs) make such a great therapist. Like, why aren't you pursuing that? And I had a lot of limiting beliefs that I would not be a good therapist, that I wouldn't be able to do it because I was too sensitive, I was too too much of an empath, that I would take on other people's stuff and it would just really weigh me down and I'd have a hard time. And so I was really passionate about mental health and self-help and I am a strong believer in therapy. I think if everyone had a therapist, the world would be a better place. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I I was like I can I can kind of do the similar things, just take a different route. Uh I I didn't go to school uh to college right after I graduated high school because I was like I don't know where I'm going or what I want to do, so I'm not going to waste like time and money and energy just going to school for for the fun of it or the experience Mm. or whatever so I kind of reached a moment of extreme burnout in the job I'm in currently just physically and mentally and I was feeling really hopeless I was like I feel stuck and I don't know where I'm going and what the direction I want to take in my life and I was in a therapy session just kind of hashing this out and I was like, I mean, do I want to go to school to be like a preschool teacher or do I want to be a therapist? And 
I was like, do you even think I would make a good therapist? And she was like, I just got chills at the Mm. thought of you being a therapist. And we kind of worked through those limiting beliefs. And she was like, your sensitivity doesn't have to be a weakness. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. That can be your superpower that you are empathetic and you are able to pick up on other people's emotions and you are a really good listener and sensitive to their feelings and everything like that can make you a good therapist because you'll be able to make people feel safe and comfortable and Mm. able to open up like that. And she was like, you know, you've done so much work with boundaries and taking care of yourself that, you know, your sensitivity doesn't have to be a bad thing because you'll be able to set those boundaries when you are a therapist so that it doesn't weigh you down. And mm. you'll probably need a therapist while you are being a therapist just to right. you know, make sure you're coping with that well. But she kind of just helped me work through those limiting beliefs and give me the reassurance that actually I could do it mm-hmm. and I could do it well. And I've loved my classes so far. It feels super right for me and Mm. maybe it won't end up feeling right years down the road and that's fine but like as of right now that's the direction I'm I'm going in so Mm. yeah that's amazing and as you were saying that your therapist got chills I got chills which is so it's it's so crazy how um you know like we don't know each other personally but I even felt that as you were saying it Mm -hmm. before you before you definitely said that so at least we're not like like you said. I th- I think you're on the right path. At least for now, like you said, yeah. maybe maybe down the road, maybe not. But right now, I think you are where you are. So thank you. Yeah, of course. As a survivor of sexual and mental abuse, can you share at what age that happened, when it began in the relationship with your abuser, and when the breaking point or a series of breaking points allowed you to walk away? Yes. So. I was 15 when he started pursuing me, and this was a boy that was older than me, but he was in my same church community, and I had known him for years prior, but I was a very shy, quiet kid, and so we weren't like friends. I don't even think we had like a full conversation before that. I just knew him because I would go to church activities and he would be in the youth group with me. And he was a very popular, charismatic, charming person. Everyone loved him. Everyone looked up to him. All the girls wanted to date him. All the parents wanted their daughters to date him. He was teacher's pets. And, you know, like he had everyone under his spell. And so when he started pursuing me and all of a sudden giving me attention, I felt like, one, shocked and surprised, but also like, wow, he could have had anyone, but he picked me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm feeling super special. And he's love bombing me and making me feel like I'm the most beautiful girl in the world, the most loved girl in the world, you know, all those things. And it really happened so fast where he was grooming me. We went on our first date and on our first date, 
he asked me to be his girlfriend and we had our first Mm. kiss like it all happened Mm. within one night and so then a couple months in it it switched and it was like he started breaking me down Mm -hmm. before he was just building me up and making me fall in love with him and pushing me to be vulnerable and share all my insecurities and all those things and then he was using those against me and he was isolating me from all of my friends and my family and those relationships and making it so that I was solely dependent on him and his attention Mm -hmm. and that relationship but then he would punish me by ignoring me or stonewalling me or you know those kinds of things if I provoked him or I did something that he didn't like and so you know Throughout this entire relationship that spanned two years from the time he started pursuing me to the time I finally cut him out of my life, it was two years, I was so alone and I was so dependent on him. And when he started breaking down my my boundaries and my barriers to the point where he was sexually abusing me on a daily basis, um, raping me on a weekly basis, I... I just broke, like my mm. mental health deteriorated. And it looking back, like the timeline matches up perfectly from the first time he sexually assaulted me. Mm-hmm. That's when all of a sudden severe anxiety and depression manifested. And I went from, you know, being a freshman in high school, just having a good time with her friend group and going to football games and, you know, hanging out and doing fun things with him on the weekend to crying in my bed every single day, having Mm -hmm. panic attacks every single day, missing so much school because I would sit in my car, just panicking, not even being able to make it into school. And it was exhausting. And Mm -hmm. it really took a toll on my family and myself and I'm honestly surprised I even graduated high school because Mm -hmm. of how much I missed school and my grades were (laughs) something else. They were (laughs) not that great because I, I was just trying to survive each day Mm -hmm. and it was heavy and it was a dark time. And there were points that it pushed me to attempt suicide because it just felt like there was no way out. And he was feeding me these narratives that, He's the only one that can love me. And I'm lucky that he loves me despite the anxiety and the depression and the panic attacks. And, Mm. you know, he's also playing into the church narratives that I am unworthy because he was sexually abusing me. So, you know, I had to be, I had to marry him because no one else would want me because I'm not sexually pure anymore and I was damaged goods and you know like Mm -hmm. the sexual and mental abuse was it was a lot and it was constant but no one had any idea Mm. no one had any idea outside of my household how much I was struggling with my mental health I would go to school and I would put on a face and I would make it through the six hours. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't and I would 
just leave and ditch because mm-hmm. I couldn't put on a face anymore. And that's another reason why I missed so much school because it was exhausting pretending to be fine when I was so far from it. And so some days I just like couldn't bear the thought of putting on that mask mm-hmm. another day. And so like all of my old friends, they had no idea what was going on. They just knew that I stopped hanging out. I started stopped responding. And mm-hmm. on social media, I painted this beautiful picture that I had the most perfect, the cutest relationship. Everyone, you know, commented how much they loved us together and how jealous they were and, you know, all, all the things. And I just painted this picture that I was so happy and life was so good. But <laughs> behind the scenes, like no one had any idea what was actually happening. And even with the abuse, my parents and my siblings, they had no idea that he was sexually abusing me and emotionally mm-hmm. and mentally breaking me down. They, I, I always say they, they are secondary survivors because mm-hmm. he manipulated them as well. He had them under his spell. Um, he really fostered a relationship with my parents where they trusted him over me. Mm-hmm. And if I tried to, you know, a cry for help, saying something that he did that hurt me they'd be like oh no 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 you're so sensitive like you're taking it the wrong way he takes such good care of you they almost saw him as my savior like mm, wow so dangerous. this kid <laughs> is sticking around despite the the dark time she's in you know he must really love her and mm-hmm. you know he's there picking her back up and calming her down during the panic attacks but little did they know like He's the one provoking these breakdowns and these panic panic attacks. The reason he's there to pick me back up is because he was there to cause it. And Mm. something he did or something he said, you know, triggered those horrible breakdowns. And Mm. so he was able to paint this image that, like, he was so good for me. And Mm. they called upon him to help me and calm me down and all those things. And so this entire time I'm feeling like it's my fault that, you know, he wouldn't treat me this way if I hadn't provoked him, if I hadn't done something, if I hadn't hadn't said the wrong thing. And so I'm constantly just blaming myself for feeling this way and being in this horrible relationship in this horrible state. And I'm thinking, you know, who, let me get back to the guy that I fell in love with at the beginning, like, what did I do to provoke him to make it so he turned into this monster that was horrible to me? And mm. and he's not, like, abusive every single day because he has to reel me back in and he has to, like, build me back up and love bomb me again and then tear me back down. And then it's just, like, this up and down roller coaster and it, it's exhausting. So mm. that was two years of that. And then kind of ironic, he ended up breaking up with me. And it was interesting. I think he had used me. He had played with my body and he was done with me. I was so broken that it wasn't Mm -hmm. fun anymore for him. And he was ready to move on to his next target. And he had already like picked the girl out. He would 
flirt with her. And I, I didn't ever find like actual proof of cheating, but like he would say, you know, so-and-so is so happy and like her smile is so beautiful. I wish you mm-hmm. were happy, like comparing me to her and trying to make me jealous and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff. And so he broke up with me, but he did it in a way where he still wanted a hand in my life and he wanted me to kind of be his side chick where he was like, you know, we have to break up because I need to work on myself so that I can be worthy to go on a mission for the church. So we're still going to be best friends. Nothing's going to change. We're just not going to be sexually active and romantic anymore. And no one is going to know that we even broke up. Like, don't tell anyone. No one at school is going to even pick it up because we're still going to be best friends. And like, you know, nothing's going to change. We're not going to date other people. I'm not breaking up with you because I want to see someone else. We're still going to get married and run away together and like feeding me all these narratives that like, it's fine, but also it's not fine. And I knew, I knew all of that was complete BS. And that I, I was in like, hysterical breakdown for 48 hours after he broke up with me because I was being fed these narratives that I wasn't lovable and Mm -hmm. you know like I was damaged goods and nobody would want me and no one would want to see me at my worst or love me through that and and so I had this complete breakdown and I attempted suicide four times in those 48 hours Mm -hmm. and it was near the end where I was being physically restrained by both my parents so that I wouldn't harm myself Mm -hmm. and I'm just like hysterically sobbing and when I am in a breakdown I like talk nonstop everything that's going through my brain is coming out my mouth Mm -hmm. and so I'm you know, being restrained and I'm saying all these horrible things like I don't want to breathe anymore. I'm never going to be loved again. My life is over. And I'm 17, by the way, at this time. So mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, that's a bit much. And I don't know, something, something clicked, something switched. Mm-hmm. And it really is a miracle. I don't know how it happened or why it happened. But all of a sudden, I started building myself back up and, and I just reversed what I was saying about myself. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just so exhausted that like this wasn't working. Everything that I was doing, it wasn't, it wasn't working. And so why not just do something different? So all of a sudden I'm saying these empowering affirmations to myself. I'm like, I am a badass. I can do this. I mm-hmm. will find love again. Like I am loved. I am supported. I will be okay. And I remember like my mom and my sisters laughing in that moment because Mm -hmm. it was probably so bizarre from the outside. I'm like hysterical. And then all of a sudden I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Like building myself back Mm -hmm. up. And so I started prioritizing my mental health. And I was like, I have been looking for an external source to save me or fix me, whether it was him or my parents or my therapist, I wanted someone to just take it away and mm-hmm. fix my problems. 
And I finally realized like, I am the only one that can do this. And I have to want to do this for myself, not for anyone else. I don't want to do this so that he will come back to me. I have to, if, if it's going to stick, I have to do this for myself. And so I did this like, love yourself challenge with my mom and two other friends. And we like held each other accountable through this like 18 day challenge. Mm -hmm. And I started applying the things I was learning in therapy because I had been in therapy during that relationship, but it wasn't ever sticking because I wasn't ready. I wasn't mm-hmm. ready to work on myself and I wasn't ready to take it seriously or apply things. Cause that's only one hour in my week. And so I'm not doing anything all the other hours of my week. So it didn't, it didn't really do much for me until I started showing up and being like, I want to get a handle on this. I want Mm -hmm. to feel better. And so, yeah, after he broke up with me, I was like, fine, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about another person. I can just focus on myself. And it was like, a couple months where he was, we were still in this middle state and he would not talk to me unless he needed something from me or wanted to use me again. And because I was gaining some independence and I was finding some resilience in myself and, you know, learning to take care of myself without needing to rely on him, that scared him. And Mm. I remember like him calling me at 3 a.m. one night and was like, you know, you seem so happy and like being annoyed by that. And he was Mm -hmm. like, you don't need me anymore. And I that was definitely a turning point where I was like, no, but that's a good thing. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. need you to be okay. I don't need you to be happy. Maybe I want you in my life and I want a relationship, but I don't need it. And he didn't really understand that. And so finally, I kind of gave him an ultimatum and I was like, you're either in or out because right now I've been prioritizing my mental health and the one thing that's holding me back is this mm-hmm. and I just can't do it anymore. And he still like didn't give me an answer and tried to draw it out and keep me as his side chick. And so I just, I was like, okay, I need to cut you out of my life so that I can continue progressing forward and moving forward. And So that was the end of the relationship. And then Mm -hmm. after that, I, I kind of, I think it was like maybe six months after where I was starting to realize that maybe this was abusive and maybe this was really toxic because I had started making friends again and seeing their relationships or just talking to them about, you know, some of the things that had gone on. And it was just little light bulb moments where I was like, oh, Mm. that's weird. Like, it's not normal to feel worthless and disgusting and used after sex. Like, it's supposed to be enjoyable and feel connecting, Mm -hmm. you know, and there are just different things like that where I was like, wait, this is weird. Mm-hmm. This wasn't normal. And it. I actually had like a really great friend that I think she handled it in the best way where I think she could see that it was abusive or that it was toxic. And so instead of kind of calling it out or attacking me, 
like, you know, this was abuse. You were sexually abused, really. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. I think I would have gotten really defensive and not listened to her because I wasn't ready to see that or acknowledge that yet. But she was just able to share some of her own experiences and, you know, that her mom had been raped as a teenager and how she had responded, like seeing the guy years down the road and triggers and sharing with me all these different things. And I was like, wait, that's weird because I respond in a similar way when I see him again. And I'm having these weird, like hypervigilant triggers and flashbacks and nightmares and all this stuff. And so then I started educating myself and I started reading books and listening to podcasts. And I was like, you know, what does it mean to be in an abusive relationship? What does an Mm -hmm. abuser look like? What are those tactics? What does sexual assault even mean? What does it even mean to be raped? What does consent look like? And once I started educating myself and seeking out that information, I it was like checkbox after checkbox. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, like this is all making sense now. And able to reflect and look back on the relationship. And I was like, yeah, this... Mm this makes sense. And then that opened up a whole new level of healing and understanding. So yeah, that was kind of all over the place, but I'm not sure if I even answered your question. (laughs) No, you definitely did. I mean, thank you for being so incredibly detailed and really using your story as like the, or like the points of the story that go back to back. I think you did a beautiful job. Thank you. I think you definitely answered everything. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And there were actually like questions that popped up in my head that I was going to ask. I'm like, but you, you already answered it. <laughs> you answered it like the second after I thought about it. So that was amazing. And thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing your story and answering that so well. Of course. Yeah. And how also so amazing of you and so strong of you to be able to figure out that this was happening to you and like you were listening to a podcast and you were reading stuff and then it was just kind of like a revelation from there and you being able to check off all these things that were happening to you and really realizing it and also I'm sure having supportive like that supportive friend that you mentioned and having um your mother and you said your siblings do the 18-day challenge Mm -hmm. and that as well I'm sure was such a supportive thing that you definitely needed at the time and I'm sure is a big or one of the big things that also helped you continue this this journey that you're on yeah my support system is amazing and I don't think I would be here if it weren't for the constant support and it was actually my dad that I first told when I Mm -hmm realized what happened to me I had sent him a podcast I had sent both my parents a podcast episode that I had listened to that had talked about sexual abuse and rape and it was just like different things that you know you can be raped in a relationship you know Mm. and it's not just in a dark alleyway by a stranger and you know going through those different rape myths and I remember afterwards I was sitting in the car with my dad and I you know first said it out loud for the first time and his immediate response was I believe you and I am willing to support you in whatever you need to do moving forward to heal. And that was so incredibly powerful and validating because that was the first person that I had confided in and they believed me. They didn't 
question me immediately and they didn't, you know, take his side. And Mm -hmm. I think that moment was like a make or break moment. And yeah, they have been so amazing ever since then. Beautiful. I'm glad that you definitely have that. Yeah, not everyone does. Right. And with with your story and everything that you've been through, what are the long-term mental health impacts this time of your life has left you and how do you continue implementing routines that support you? So it definitely rocked my world and changed changed me forever. I don't mm. think... I think this will affect me for the rest of my life. It doesn't have to have power over me and it's not my entire identity and, and defines me, but I... I'm definitely who I am because of it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, with the mental health side of things, I think I would I definitely was predisposed to suffer with anxiety and maybe even depression and it runs on both sides of my family and I was a pretty anxious child, but I wasn't I hadn't experienced such severe anxiety and depression until this relationship and I think it brought it all to the surface and it Mm. made the anxiety and depression manifest because of the abuse. But once I cut him out of my life, it was like a night and day difference. And Mm. a lot of that mental health struggle kind of lifted. And I definitely still had to heal from the trauma. And I went to like a trauma specialized therapist for EMDR and had a lot to work through there, but I, I'm in a totally different place because now I take my mental health seriously and I have different routines in place to make me feel my best. I know that, you know, I know now I need eight hours at least of sleep to Mm -hmm. be my best. And then if I get less than that, then I have a really hard time regulating my emotions or I, can spiral easily into like a panic or anxious or depressive episode. And so like, I am able to know myself to know what I need to lessen the impacts of those different things. And I've been able to work through a lot of the trauma and the triggers from my relationship so that I'm so that it doesn't affect me on a daily basis. There are still things that come up. Sometimes I have a nightmare or there's a flashback or a trigger, but it it doesn't affect me as much as it did, you know, a year out of it. I'm a couple mm-hmm. of years out of it now and it, it has less and less of a hold on me. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think it's going to be something that affects me for the rest of my life. Right. And what kind of like routines do you have in place in order to or if you like you feel anxious or have any depressive episodes or anything like that, what kind of things kind of regulate that for you so that you're not as anxious or in those very intense feelings? Mm-hmm. So I still see my therapist weekly and we are constantly going through different workbooks. So I will have like journaling prompts and different things like and different readings so that I I'm constantly reflecting on how I show up and tuning into my emotions and seeing how I feel Mm -hmm. that day. And there have been different tools that they've been able to help me implement 
so that when those different things come up, when I have a panic attack, when I get triggered by the abuse and something happens, I'm able to realize what I need. And so like, let's say I have something come up during the day that triggers a flashback about the abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, I usually end up having a nightmare about that relationship that night once that happened. But if that happens, something my EMDR therapist had me do was write affirmations right before I go to bed and say them and put my hand on my heart and just affirm to my subconscious, like, I am safe. I am out of that relationship. He can't hurt me anymore. He doesn't have power over me. And kind of calming my subconscious down to be like, you're not in that place anymore. You don't need to go into flight or flight. You don't need to go in survival mode because this isn't happening anymore. And then magically, I don't have a nightmare that night. (laughs) And, you know, if I am getting anxious, I know like I have different breathing techniques or I have a quick acting anxiety medication I can take or I will go on a barefoot walk or, you know, just something grounding. And I, I do a lot of yoga to decompress and meditation paired with that yoga so that I can calm down my mind so that I'm not, not as anxious. And then, of course, just tons of journaling because that mm-hmm. helps me process my emotions. And, you know, when, when things are spiraling in my head, I'm able to just get it out of my system and down onto the paper and it usually brings a lot of clarity and understanding that like my brain is lying to me right now like those Mm -hmm. thoughts aren't true and I'm creating stories out of something that you know it's not actually like that but it feels like Mm -hmm. my reality it feels like it's real and it's valid but it my anxiety or the depressed voice in my head are lying to me and you know, Mm -hmm. they don't, I don't have to listen to them. I can pick and choose what is true and what I'm actually listening to or, you know, creating stories around, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, for myself, writing is so therapeutic for anything and Mm -hmm. I've always done it even before I even became a professional copywriter and all of that, but definitely like when I've been anxious and I don't usually get anxious too often, it has to be I'm going through a situation with someone I deeply care about or I'm making huge changes or shifts or whatever, but writing things down is so incredibly powerful for clarity and just for myself, like Mm -hmm. breathing. I could finally breathe because I wrote it down (laughs) and I know exactly what it is that I'm feeling and how to move forward or, you know, whatever the situation is at the time, it just, it really just changes so many things and beneficial for, for whatever situation as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Shifting to another topic of your story, you've shared with me that you no longer consider yourself religious, but rather spiritual. What's made you make this decision and how do they differ from your perspective? So it, was actually a lot of the abuse that made Mm. me take a step back from 
the religion that I was raised in. I was raised Mormon, and it's mm-hmm. a very high demand, conservative religion, and that's how I knew him. And throughout the abuse, he had used church doctrine to manipulate manipulate me and to abuse me and it I I think I have a lot of religious trauma from Mm. the narratives that I was taught and a lot of those narratives around sexuality and that I wasn't talked to about consent or what sexual abuse would look like because we're just taught like an abstinence-based sex education and constantly drilled in your head like no sex before marriage and if you do you know there were like object lessons that Mm -hmm. you would be a licked cupcake and no one wants a licked cupcake or no one wants chewed gum after it's already been chewed and just those different things that while I was being abused I thought you know I am unworthy of love and I'm not Mm -hmm. good enough anymore and I'm unpure and you know, there's, there were just so many things that I was set up to feel horrible about myself. And mm. after that relationship had ended, he was being considered to go represent the church and go on a two-year mission. And I knew he was lying about, you know, our relationship and everything that had happened. So I went to some church leaders and I was like, you know, he had had done this to me and he's not telling you that he was sexually active because it was not consensual and you know he knows how to manipulate you guys and work the system so that you guys think he is this you know great guy that is super spiritually in tune and super christ-like and all those things and and they didn't believe me and they took his side because he is really charismatic and really convincing and his family was very well known and had a lot of money and so you know they took his side and when I started to speak out on social media and and share my story I got some threatening letters from the church and from his family Mm -hmm. saying like that I wasn't being Christ-like and this was the wrong way to go about my healing and that it was an iceberg situation and I'm not letting him tell his side of the story, you know, all these things. And it was like, this isn't good for me. This Mm -hmm. is a very toxic environment. And, you know, people should go to church for a feeling of peace and Mm -hmm. feeling of community and love. And I was going and feeling extremely angry and, anxious and like I wasn't supported there and I wasn't believed and so I decided to take a step back and I was like this this isn't a good environment environment for me right now maybe it will change in the future but it hasn't changed and I for other reasons as well decided I no longer want to identify as Mormon and that I am not a fan of organized religion and so Mm -hmm. I still consider myself a spiritual person and connect with a higher being, but I am definitely reconstructing my beliefs around, you know, what do I believe? What was I just taught to believe versus what I, what I actually 
feel is true to my soul. And it, I just no longer aligned with the religion that I grew up with. You know, Mm -hmm. if I wanted to choose myself and choose to feel authentic and in, in alignment with my values, like that no longer fit. And I think religion can be a great thing for some people. It can bring them community and it can bring them a lot of hope and security and answers and and peace. But for me, it, it didn't and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I personally think that, you know, religion tries to put spirituality into boxes and definitions and, you know, religions have different names for different things, have different labels but I believe that it's all the same feeling and that we're connected by all of the same thing. And it doesn't matter what you call it or what box you want to put it in, that at the end of the day, it's a universal feeling. And so I, I can build my spiritual connection and make it very individual and personal. Whereas with the religion, I was told, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z to, to be spiritual or to be connected with God and, you know, these places you're going to feel extremely spiritual. These practices will make you feel spiritual. And it didn't, it no longer Mm -hmm. worked for me. And, you know, going to church or going to the temple and praying and reading the scriptures didn't foster that spiritual connection for me. Whereas yoga or being in the mountains or, you know, being by myself and meditating or laying in the sun did. And so it was just like, I'm just going to expand beyond the confines of of this religion and make it more personal and intimate. Right. And I think that's like the definition of being spiritual, making it personal and and making it what it is for you and what moves you um, and connects you to spirituality you know yeah and how does being spiritual go hand in hand with your self-care and mental health so I'm big on like mind body soul Mm. connection I think you know some people are very focused on their physical health and working out and going to the gym and eating right but they don't tend to their mental health as much or their spiritual um, connection. And I think that all three go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I have really found with yoga, I'm able to connect all three, connect my mind to my body and my breath and connect my through meditation and the yoga practice connect my spiritual connection with my mind and my body. And I'm able to get all three. And I think if you're really tuning into your yourself and your intuition that, you know, you have needs in all areas and to be able to take care of yourself, you have to foster those routines or those practices in all three areas instead of you know, one or the other and mm-hmm. picking and choosing. And I think they affect each other. And so if you take care of one, you're going to end up needing to take care of another as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think I have the same, the same thoughts on everything you just said. 
you know, I do yoga and I'm really mindful of having that connection of your mind, body, and spirit. Like it's so important and they are all intertwined. And like you Mm -hmm. said, you know, you might work in one area, but then you're going to have to work on the other areas as well. And we like, we can't neglect that because then that's when, you know, body aches could come or your mental health isn't, you don't have clarity or, you know, you're carrying all these emotions, but because you haven't found a way to process it or move your body, because sometimes they're, they're genuinely stuck, you could suffer a lot more, but it's, it's like a whole experience and we could definitely have a whole podcast talking (laughs) just about that because I'm so passionate and I've spoken about it countless of times of, especially meditation, because it's helped me in such a profound way. Yeah. And I won't go into too much detail because then (laughs) I'll be here for another hour. But yeah, like I totally understand where you're coming from and how that makes you feel. So I really love how you express that. Yeah, absolutely. You have a podcast called In the Wake, and you're also the co-founder of a teen mental health foundation and, and the stigma. Did these two begin around the same time and respectively, what has each one made you realize about yourself and your goals? So they did not actually. And the stigma was founded in 2017, if I'm remembering correctly. And I started my podcast in February of 2019, I think. Um, So Stigma is a sister foundation with another foundation called the Emily Effect that was started first. And that was started by family friend, a family friend and my mom. She's the co-founder of that foundation. And it's it's for maternal mental health mm-hmm. for moms. And they saw a need for a teen mental health foundation because I was struggling and the other founder had children or teens that were struggling with their mental health. And so they, they started that one. And once I started prioritizing my mental health and doing a lot better, I kind of took it over and they, they wanted it to be run by teens. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm not a teen anymore, but I'm still pretty young. And so I think the, the slogan is like teens influencing teens to think and act differently around their mental health. Um, because, you know, if, if adults are just talking at you about mental illness and mental health, teens can be like, yeah, whatever, right. or, <laughs> you know, the teenage attitude. But if you're hearing it from your peers and they're being open on social media, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Or I resonate with that where I'm more willing to listen. And so, yeah, I started heading that foundation. And then once I got out of that relationship and I started prioritizing my mental health, I released a hashtag no filter story through End the Stigma. And it was the first of our series where teens can share their story on social media and finally take off that filter and those masks, pretending everything's fine when it's not. Mm-hmm. So I shared my mental health struggles with anxiety and depression. And I just got an outpouring of love and support and so many people being like, me too. This is a breath of fresh air and 
so relieving that I'm not alone. And it was like, wow, all these people that I was surrounded with that I, f- I felt so alone. And I felt like I was the only one feeling these things. But little did I know we were all mm-hmm. struggling in our own ways, but struggling alone while being together, if that makes sense. And so then when I started coming to terms with the abuse and, and learning more and more, I shared a part two no filter story and talked about, you know, the abusive relationship and how that paired with the mental health struggles. And I had this super clarifying moment where I just felt so at peace that this was my purpose, that Mm -hmm. I survived that relationship, that I survived those suicide attempts to be able to live to tell the tale, Mm -hmm. that I needed to share my story and I needed to help others feel like they weren't alone and give them permission to also talk openly about these stigmatized and taboo things. Mm -hmm. And so when I had that clarifying moment, I was like, I want to continue talking about this. So I decided to start a podcast to continue sharing my story. And then it's evolved into giving other people the platform to share their stories as well. And just talking about these usually uncomfortable taboo topics that, you know, people in society just want to shove out under the rug and pretend like everything's fine when it's not. And, and so, yeah, that's kind of how all of those things started and how they've evolved. So amazing. And it's so great how it kind of flowed into, or your podcast flowed into it. Because you wanted to yeah. like continue the conversation. <laughs> because you're also not going to be a teenager for years. So I'm sure that just opens so many more conversations and impacting so many more lives, you know? That's so amazing. If anyone listening is afraid of speaking out about taboo and stigmatized topics, what's one small step they can take in order to make it easier to share? I would say join different groups and communities, whatever you're going through, you know, find your people and there's like Facebook groups or there's Instagram followings or, you know, support groups through Zoom. There's just so many different resources, whether you are struggling with your mental illness or mental health or you're a survivor of abuse or trauma or, you know, whatever it may be, find support groups and listen to other people's stories because that has been so validating and empowering for me to hear other people's stories that like maybe they're farther along in their healing or, you know, they're, they are now in a really healthy, loving relationship. And that Mm -hmm. that's given me hope that like, that's possible for me. And that kind of healing can happen for me too. I can be happy one day too. So I think if you're not ready to, open up and share. And that's not necessarily for everyone. Maybe you don't end up sharing all of these vulnerable things on social media, but at least sharing with the people around you and your parents or your best friend and, you know, letting other people see you and see your struggle. But I think definitely if you're not in a place where you are ready to share, at least 
hear other people sharing because it can give you that validation and that encouragement and that hope and you know all the things yeah beautiful and lastly I'm all about affirmations and I know you mentioned that a bit earlier and I've seen how much they've impacted my own mindset throughout the years I'd love for you to fill in the rest of this affirmation either for yourself or for any listener I release I release the need to control I release the comparison, comparing my healing to anyone else's or comparing my journey and my path forward to anyone else. And I release the opinions of other people and letting external voices sway my decisions. Also incredibly important. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for sharing that. And a huge thanks in general for you being here with me today and for using your voice for what you've been through and all of the gems I know that the persons it's meant to really impact will resonate deeply with them. Yeah, thank you for giving me the space to share and having such a beautiful podcast platform. I really appreciate you and the work you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in this week to Ilani Talks. Refer to the show notes for details we discussed in this episode and more about the guest. To get in touch, send a DM on Instagram at Ilani Talks. And if you enjoy this podcast, visit ilanitalks.com to sign up for the newsletter at the very bottom of the homepage. By signing up, you'll receive exclusive information that only subscribers get. Until the next one, with all my love, Ilani.